You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to The Perth Property Show. My name's Trent Fleskins, your host as always. We're straight into the big chat. It's the 8th of January. Most people are still on holidays, but Lachlan Delahunty is in the studio because the buying doesn't stop. Lock, thanks for coming in, mate. No worries, mate. It doesn't stop and I've dropped everything for you. Hey, a bit of a pump up for you. Last year, your episode was the number one listened to episode for all of 2023. It's, a, I guess, a little bit you, but probably a lot of the things we were talking about, wasn't it? Yeah, it must have been a slow news week, was it? But no, <laughs> it was. I think it was topical. I think a lot of people could relate to what we discussed about buying in a, in a rising market. And those strategies we spoke about last year, I think it's important for us to use that as a bit of context as to 2024, what this year looks like and how things might change in that dynamic. I'm assuming that the dynamic hasn't changed. I'm actually assuming it's probably become a little bit more critical. It has. And this is where people get really frustrated. So when we spoke early in, in 2023, our view was the market was going to be strong. It's going to get more competitive, not only locally, but it's going to get more competitive from East Coast buyers, which gets quite difficult to compete when you're dealing with East Coast pockets, which are typically a little bit deeper than ours. So no, the dynamic won't change this year. And I think it will get more difficult to buy as more competition comes into Perth, both from an investment East Coast mentality as well as local investors and own occupiers all competing for the same stock. This week last year, we just started ticking towards 8,000 properties on the market, dropping, dropping every week, losing one or 200 properties a week. We're sitting around that 5,000 mark and for a while now, we've actually been under the 5,000 mark. I don't think either of us expected us to get into such a critical position, but it does demonstrate why we're having these conversations when you think about having less than 5,000 properties on the market for a population of over 2 million people of that only 2,000 are fully detached homes so when we were having this conversation last year it was okay can it get any lower than the 8,000 properties that were on the market we're now at 4,700 so it becomes a market of desperation for some people actually genuinely need a place to live you're right a lot of that you know less than 2,000 of that is established homes So for those looking for family homes, it becomes really, really challenging. When we think about the other options available to people looking to buy a home, whether they've been living here their whole life or coming into the state, and we'll talk about immigration today as well, there is no substitutable market really. If you or I even, even in our positions looking at properties every day, we're in a position where we were kicked out of our place somehow, finding a house even for us as a rental property would be extremely difficult. Yeah, well, I think the desperation in the rental market's almost worse than at least equal to that of the buying market. And the problem is the building industry has taken such a hit, which I'm sure we'll discuss. And and I guess the the trust in going through that process and and buying a block of land and, and building... Um, is, is now more difficult than it ever has been with a number of builders that have, have fallen over. And I guess the turnaround times on producing a finished product is, is longer than ever with trade shortages. So that as an option is buying a block of land and building is probably as challenging as it's ever been. So that's making it really problematic. But more importantly, if someone does choose to go down that path, they still need to live somewhere for that 12 to 18 month, or in some cases, three year period to build a home. It puts more pressure on the rental market and more pressure on the established market. Now, I don't envy you, mate. A number of times over the last year, you've come to me and said, mate, my job is just getting harder and harder and harder to a point where sometimes I think there's been a bit of despair on your side with your team in terms of the ability to lock down a property. There have been times that you've expressed to me that it certainly has changed from years ago where you'd get a property off market and straight away you had that lockdown. There wasn't really a conversation about it. You were the solution to that seller a lot of the time. Now the dynamic really has changed, hasn't it? Obviously, you're still buying property off market. That's your job. 
job, that's your competitive advantage. But you've told me about times where you might see 10, 11 offers go unaccepted before you actually get one accepted on the on the market. Yeah, now we are really fortunate. Still 45% of the stock we buy is off market. And really that comes down to having really strong relationships with the agents, but that's not relationships now. That's been established over the last six years. You know, I've got a team of 10 buyers agents that work really hard to establish those relationships. So we are fortunate, but it is getting more challenging because like you said, our job is to buy and buy well for our clients. And a big part of that is the price around that. And we're not a business that's going to go you know, out there and overpay for product. So I've had in- instances where our buyers agents have missed out on 13 or 14 properties in a row. And understand for us to put an offer in on a property, we're inspecting probably 10 to 15 properties per offer right mm. so for that particular buyer's agent it could have been 100 properties that he's inspected it's a lot of hustle it really is it really but that's the nature of what we do right and even our business is built around this it can be difficult in a rising market because we work three to four times as hard for the same outcome but at the same time wa has been a market that's been flat for so long in 2018 and 19 when we're having these conversations perth property wasn't a place where people thought they could make money but for the first time ever People have got equity, their own occupied properties are improving in value and it's giving them more options. So although it is challenging, it is a real positive for Perth and WA because people have got equity in their assets. The last few years in Perth, I think have been characterised by that trepidation, by a lack of belief from the local market. It's shown a cycle of emotions that I spoke to Brendan Ptolemy about a few weeks ago. It started with that preference to seek value and still try and win the transaction. As the market started to progress and the East Coast market has started to come in with far less trepidation, the local buyer has started to get frustrated and really a level of disbelief. It then turned to anger and it seems now that the year 2024 will have to be a year of acceptance from the local market that prices have moved they're going to continue to move and the conversation is no longer about as a buyer winning that transaction financially it's more about winning that transaction in terms of access and that's what you'll find in this other conversation late last year with a client that said they're not in a hurry right and i completely agree you never want to rush the decision and we never want to see emotional buying because when people when they're emotional will make bad decisions. Especially with an owner-occupied property, you don't want that to be a regret for yourself. Exactly, exactly. And that's when you, you find in this market, people start to take shortcuts. They don't have a clear strategy and they make a mistake. But in saying that, it's not a time to sit on your heels because every month that you're out of the market, we're seeing about close to 2% growth per month. You net that out over six months. That's a pretty significant uplift on a million-dollar property that you're leaving on the table. So albeit, albeit we don't want to rush the process, we want to be actively ready to buy for the right client, for the right opportunity, because every month that we delay that, we're costing the client money, but they're costing themselves money. So mm. it's having honest conversations. And for those going out into the marketplace, probably coming back from holidays at the moment, probably got a New Year's resolution we want to get in the market this year. Certainly don't rush the process. Make sure you've got a clear strategy. Speed in a rising market is so important. We spoke about this in last year's podcast. And speed doesn't mean you need to make a quick decision. It's just being really, really prepared. And I think that's where people fundamentally make mistakes because they're unprepared. They get caught up in the buzz. Ninety groups at a home open. They go in and make an uneducated decision. I think you're right there it's about being prepared people who have been looking over the last year or two and for some cases i think three or four years for some people that i know personally they really should be prepared by now to the point where when they do have the ability to identify the house that suits those parameters they execute quickly so that isn't rushing they've spent the last couple of years in a lot of cases being prepared being aware of the market and how it's moving and starting to accept that but really having that ability to demonstrate at the offer and acceptance time that i'm 
I'm ready both financially and from a time perspective to execute at the price the seller is looking for and still try and be that solution for the seller just in a way that it isn't going to be, I think we need to accept this, a financial win for the buyer most of the time. Yes, we're very much in a seller's market, right? So for those going out, home opens on Saturday, I always say you want to be the highest offer by the lowest amount. That's the true definition of market value. So if you're constantly getting beaten by five or $10,000, yeah, it can be quite frustrating. But like we said in last year's podcast, there's always more information in a transaction. Trying to get the depth of that information in terms of what else is the seller looking for in that transaction. And it's not always price. We picked up one late last year in Arlington Street, South Perth, off market. There was two offers that were much higher than ours. You know, one was well over one three. We were able to pick that up for one two six. The pure ability to pick that up was because we could offer generous settlement terms. We could offer them a lease back. An older lady wanted the time to be able to move and didn't want to be rushed in the new year. So again, it always comes back to that. Always ask more information. What else is important in the equation? Think of 2024 as the year of auction environment or auction terms. So what I mean by that, everyone said Perth's never going to be an auction town. We don't do auctions here. Everyone said the same thing about Adelaide. Everyone said the same thing about Brisbane. Everyone said the same thing about Ballarat and Bendigo. When the market gets hot, rising market, agents will turn to auctions. And we're going to see it this year. Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't go to auction, be prepared to be at auction terms. So what does that mean? Make sure you've got your building and pest done prior to putting an offer in. Make sure that it's a cash offer, no subject to finance. You need to be offered clean terms. The days of having 21-day finance, we'll put 12 days for building and pest, We'll settle in 60 and we might put a good work in order and something else and something else and something else. They're gone. Mm. We need to be cash, potentially 30-day settlements with no building and pest. And I'm not saying go out there and buy a property with no building and pest because that would be silly and, and quite immature to do. But I'm telling you, get that done prior to making the offer because if there's five offers on the table and they're all very similar in price and yours are the cleanest, that goes at the top of the pile. So have a little bucket there to invest over a number of properties to give yourself that best opportunity. When we think about 2023, affordability was the theme for me in that year. And I think it really has come out in the wash in the price rises that we've saw in the affordable market. And I would say that is probably below $800,000. We saw a real compression upwards of prices in that space. Anything where interest rates really wouldn't affect the average person's affordability in Western Australia. We've essentially seen 20% growth in that space. As we move into the mid ones to, I'd say $3 million space, I don't know about you, but what I've seen is a slight softening in that market, not from preference. Certainly, people would prefer to live there if they could, most people at least. But that interest rates have really pushed the 35-year-old to 40-year-old couple with a kid and a dog from $2 million servicing down to 1.2, and they start to just not be able to compete in the same way. So instead of having six offers, maybe they had one or two, and therefore that more fickle market starts to come in. Did you notice there was a little bit of a two-speed market last year? Absolutely. Completely agree. 2023 was very much markets around affordability. Price points between 500 to 1.5 were extremely, extremely competitive. Certainly anything north of three mil, three and a half, we certainly found that the buy pool diminished at that level and, and, and things just stuck on the market for a little bit longer. But it's interesting. I had a strong conversation with John Hunter about Subiaco in general, number of clients that hold assets there. And, and potentially the view was that the market may not have a lot of growth in it over the next 12 to 18 months. I completely disagree. Those markets in a rising interest rate environment tend to struggle. And last year was significant. We haven't seen a market, well, we haven't been through a market where we've seen significant interest rate rises on, on several occasions. 2024, potentially 2025, it may start to reverse. And when do those markets typically perform? In a market where we start to see an ease in interest rates. So if we see interest rates start to ease to the back end of this year, potentially to 2025, we're going to see the sort of the north of 2.35 market. Your Subiaco, Cottesloe, you know, those sort of areas 
start to perform and I think that will happen in the back end of the year. People can access them a bit easier obviously with regards to finance but that filters all the way down. My belief is that 2024 is really just going to be a year of stability, I hope, at least mm-hmm. in the cash rate space. That lets people reset their budgets and I think for about four or five years now most people's budgets have been a bit looser than they otherwise were over the 10 years before that. We're resetting back to a, a more of a normalised budget space for our mortgages if not a little bit higher than where it's been in the early 2000s for example. And then we move, as you said, the end of the year, and there is a view that we'll start to see drops. I believe that's where we're really going to see Perth turbocharge. The second that the perception is interest rates are going to get cheaper, we start to see a lot more money come back into the market, more so than what we were seeing at the moment. So my prediction for this year, being a stable interest rate space, which is generally what we want to see, it gives confidence to a market about their budgets, is that if the fundamentals of demand and supply are not going to be any different, or if not worse than they were last year in 2023, then we should expect the same outcome from the assets price growth. Last year in 2023, we saw that market below 800,000 really kick up about 20% and sit above 800,000 kicking up between 5 and 10%. I don't see any reason why we're not going to see the same outcome into 2024. Yeah, and I think when I speak to clients, that's absolutely the reality. We've seen 13.5% price growth across the board in WA when there was 13 consecutive rate rises. The supply and demand fundamentals we spoke about with migration coming in and the inability to bring on stock through building. If the supply and demand equation doesn't change, if not get worse, and we enter into a interest rate environment or cash rate that is on the decline, even if it's just stable, that breathes so much confidence. One thing during a rising interest rate environment is that uncertainty. Where will it end? You know, people talking say, could it get 10%? Could it get to 8%? That uncertainty or the unknown still put a lot of fear into people late last year which I think probably stopped the market from doing 15 or 16% across the board. So this year, if the dialogue around interest rates remains the same, or the conversation starts to lead towards a decline in the cash rate, well, that's going to put more confidence into the market, which will then put more competition into the market. One thing we've, we've spoken about over the years on this podcast is that nexus between population growth demand and therefore price growth. Supply is the lagging fundamental here. Supply responds to demand, which comes from population growth and wage growth. We know we've seen wage growth. I think most of us have seen our incomes increase or paying our staff more over the last couple of years for the same work that they're doing. That comes with inflation. But what we know we've also seen last year, and you've got some cool data points to this that we can juxtapose against the supply side, is that immigration has been as strong as ever. We've seen over the last few weeks of last year, the Labor government start to talk about curbing that immigration. However, I don't expect that to have much of an impact given how much of an undersupply situation we're currently in. How did last year look for us in the immigration space? How does that reflect on our market? Yeah, well, look, obviously, it's driving values and, and reducing the amount of stock that's available. March quarter last year alone saw WA's population increase by 26,000, which is the highest population increase that ABS data has ever recorded. So that's a 1% increase in our population over a quarter. Mm. Those 26,000 people need about 14,000 homes to live in. Yeah. We know they don't exist in the rental space. We know that there's limited stock in the sales space. And when we think about accommodating that increase in population through new supply. The ironic thing is that we built about 14,000 homes all of last year in 2023. For the 12-month period. 
And this, this growth happened in a quarter. One quarter. That statistic itself highlights why we're seeing price growth, why we're seeing that change in the environment with regards to the dynamic, the conversation that we're having. And from that conversation, we're still not actually talking about the thousands of people from the East Coast that have been buying off of us yeah. as investors. That's going to be the theme of 2024 and just be prepared for it. What we've been prone to in the past here in Western Australia is local owner occupiers competing with other owner owner occupiers having our own market exactly exactly there was very little investment from wa residents up until recent years unfortunately people didn't have the equity position to leverage off so now for the first time ever people have got equity in their properties they're recycling that back into the perth market so we've got local investors competing with local owner occupiers now competing with east coast investors and why wa has become such a pronounced destination for East Coast investors is because our yields are the strongest in the country. Because we're seeing such significant rental increases, it's gone up 65% in the last four years. Mm-hmm. You're buying Perth established stock at about 4.5%. To give you context, in Sydney or Melbourne, you're, you're buying properties sub 3%, likely low 2% when you look at the yield. So your return on your rental income versus the purchase price. So on an interest rate at 6, 6.5%, a 2 to 2.5% yield is very difficult for people to retain property. When we look at coming into Perth, buying at 45 or even 5 in the unit space or Rockingham and Mandra, when you look at some of the regional areas, you can buy as high as 55 to 6%. So it becomes a very attractive place for people to invest. So this year we're going to see, you know, as media start to report, more so on, on Western Australia from a cash flow point of view as well as the starting to report on the growth in the market, we're going to see more competition from the East Coast. And, and I think we've seen that in the Fin, the Property Tribute, and those sort of articles are all coming very much pro-Perth. This is the first time that WA's had this in, in the last sort of 13 or 14 years. When you think about it, it's the first time that WA has been in a space of growth since the advent of social media, since yep. the advent of having a national online property database like realestate.com. The last time we were really an interesting market to look at was the early 2010s. By that point in time, Instagram hadn't even started. Mm. Facebook was just for our local friends. Realestate.com really wasn't connecting us as a nation. This is the first time we're seeing national pressure on our market where information isn't just Sydney-centric for Sydney people. Mm. It's not just East Coast-centric. Yes, there's still a lot of that, but there is a lot of reporting now and on the ground through buyers agents, they're looking to continue to feed their pipeline of clients Mm. opportunities. They can't stand behind an acquisition in Sydney right now. They can't stand behind an acquisition in Melbourne right now. They're really finding it hard to rationalise prices in Brisbane. But places like Perth, they look at it and go, well, you've got money, you want to invest, you need to put it in Perth right now. The media can drive and or make markets fall significantly, right? FOMO, when you look at the Sydney market in the peak of 2017 or the Melbourne market in 2016, the media and FOMO drove those markets for another 12 to 18 months. So... Now the media are finally starting to report around this. And like you said, the, the access of information compared to the last Perth property cycle back in 2002 to 2006 is far more yeah, easy to access. So we're going to see more borderless investing. You know, back in the early 2000s, no one ever invested outside their backyard. So it was very difficult for people to consider other markets around Australia. Here in 2024, information's accessible. Buyer's agency is certainly more common than they were 10 to 15 years ago. And the buyer's agents locally especially make East Coast investment accessible. Last time Perth was interesting for the nation to look at, there really weren't any buyer's agents assisting the East Coast buyer. Correct. Even now locally, Perth, look at buyer's agencies. There aren't too many brands that have been around for the test of time. The interesting point that I think we're making here is that we've seen through commentary 
all the way through Gosnells, Rockingham, Mandra, Quinana, those places where the East Coast buyers have been flooding. They've already been taking more than half of the stock off the market mm. for the last couple of years. You see a lot of commentary. You have a national brand that sits within the team. You're expecting this to sustain into 2024. You don't expect the commentary. You don't expect the narrative to start to wane at any point. Not at all. I think it's going to be more pronounced than it was in 2023. That's hard to actually believe yeah. when I think no, about it. No, it is. When you look at what's happening, and like I said, data's typically quite lagged. So the data that the people read in the papers is typically two to three months old. So in reality, we're going to start getting the, the November and December data in February and March. And that's going to be very, very positive. And then people start to, you know, typically investors are like sheep, right? Her mentality. They'll get in after they're confident and they've read about it in the paper. Mm. So I think this year is going to be built upon the, the media. And like I said, the markets that we were buying in 12 months ago, two years ago, we're not buying in as a business for investment now because those markets have shifted significantly. Typically, we buy somewhere between 25 to 30 suburbs. Those suburbs that we buy based on the data we track, they change every quarter. Because you know, to give you an example, we did take a strong position in Rockingham and Mandurah last year and, and the year before. But we had a client that we purchased a property for in Rockingham in March 2023 for 450000 That client, for personal reasons, had to sell that against our advice. We weren't advising to sell, but obviously personal reasons he, he did have to take that off you know, onto the market in November 2023 and sold that for 580000 Jeez. Close to 30% growth in nine months. So is that sustainable? No, I don't think so. But across the board, I do think we're going to see similar levels of growth, if not more in 2024. So you just spoke then about that evolving profile of suburbs that you're looking at. Can you yep. share with the audience where you guys expect to be looking at over the next couple of quarters? Where do you think the opportunity is? I won't go to the level of suburb selection because I don't want to create more competition for ourselves than we already have. Typically, I've been more sort of generous with that information. But where I think the best opportunities in the market at the moment is between finished and unfinished stock, right? I think there's still a fear in the market for people to go and do work themselves because of the, the trade shortage, the labour shortage, and just generally the building industry as a whole has been quite tainted post-COVID. So there is an absolute premium I found late last year, disproportionate people would pay for something that's completely finished compared to something that required the work to get it there. So you think it's the time for a renovator? I really do. And, so, you, and so the year of the renovator? It really is. I think if you look into, and I've done it in you know, a couple of projects, personal projects, for every dollar you're spending, you're getting two to three back. And that makes commercial sense. When it doesn't make sense is when you're spending a dollar to make a dollar. That really baffles me when people go to that. So it's spending the money in the right places. And again, don't overcapitalize. And I want to get people to just go out there and buy a knockdown that can't be repaired. But I do think people are paying for convenience more than they ever have. We're in 2024. People want everything. We're moving ready. They don't want to wait for things. But if you can be a little bit patient and have an, have an eye for quality stock that can be reconfigured or, or renovated, I, I do see that as being the biggest opportunity in the marketplace. I can concur with that. I've seen in the settlements division of Strategic quite a lot recently, whereas maybe three or four years ago, that person who was trying to renovate the old original 80s three by one, give it a lick of paint, even some structural renovations, I didn't see any value for money coming out of them there. They were still limited by a lack of demand really and, mm. and a, a lack of acceptance to pay overs for that because they didn't need to. Now, I'm seeing for the first time people bringing properties on the market where you can go, you've just put lipstick on that pig really there. Like that is still an 80s three by one at the end of the day. You've made it look like a great beach shack. The theme's great. The interior design's great. But people are paying massive overs for that when really it's still a house that's 45 years old. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's what, that's what they come up with Art Deco, right? The 60s stock that no one wanted. They put a Art Deco label over it to make it more attractive. Same with the 80s. It's pretty unattractive stock, really. But people are, with interior design, making these things 
comes a lot without spending too much money. In the absence of being able to have the confidence to build a new home. Exactly. That's why. Yep. And I think that's where the shift has happened. Four or five years ago, people would go, yeah, no problems. I'll build the new home, make it look exactly where I want to. I think a big part of that market that would have been home builders that have decided I'm not building. What we're going to do is renovate that yep. house. Or if we can't be bothered renovating that house, we'll buy the renovated house. Yep. And that will essentially be our pseudo new house. Yeah, but that was because of the cost of construction, right? When we, we always look at different markets and the replacement costs, and replacement costs are so important. And the gap between what it costs to buy land and build compared to buy established early to mid last year was, was close to 200000 across the median of Perth. So why wouldn't you buy established? You know, you've got a $200,000 shortfall. That gap is closing. There has been stability with building costs, although higher than most would like. We will start to see that gap reduce. But I do see for the next 12 to 18 months, the real opportunity is still going down that space. And you're right, that gap is closing. That's the reason we're starting to see, and the data has shown late last year, the largest uptake in new builds since the building boost came in. So people are recognizing that either one, there isn't really much of a delta, much of a gap anymore between the established and building a new home in a lot of suburbs. And two, that it's actually getting so hard now to buy an owner-occupied established home that it's becoming surprisingly easier to walk into a builder's office and start talking about their plans that really has not been the dynamic it's been the opposite dynamic for a few yep. years now that is starting to equalize and that has always been what we spoke about on the podcast the last couple of years that theory of replacement cost once and only once the market the est- the established market gets close to the replacement cost of the asset in the area, that's when people will rationally start to make a decision to add new supply to the market. Will it be enough? It certainly will not be. What we know is that this market needs about 25,000 new homes a year. And the market in terms of the labor supply, not even the demand for it, but just the labor supply only has the capacity right now in the single dwelling space of about 15,000 homes. So there's a 10,000 home gap that sits, that can only be filled by infill and by apartment development. And I'm assuming apartment purchasing is not high on your radar at the moment. No, it hasn't been. And for many reasons, like we said, we we track long-term compounding growth rates. You compare houses versus units or apartments over the long-term and they just don't compare in Perth. It's north of 6.5% for established dwelling. It's only 4.5% for apartments. So Perth, in comparison to other states, the uptake of apartment living has never been as strong. Just the, haven't accepted that well, lifestyle yet, have we? No, we've got the luxury we've got from Two Rocks to Mandra, this established coastal land. People are naturally drawn to the, the Australian dream of owning a family home and having a backyard, right? So do I think there's going to be a huge take of apartments in Perth? Not in comparison to that, say, over Sydney or Melbourne, but naturally, if you want amenity, you want to be proximity to shops, ocean and things, you know, the CBD, you're going to have to compromise. So I will see you know, there will be a natural shift to higher density in, in the medium term. Medium term, I think, is an important point here. Yeah. I still don't see that term. stacking up over the next couple of years. No, I don't. And given the fact that that doesn't still stack up for the buyer, for the developer, obviously, both on that side, what that means is we continue to have a deficit of probably 10,000 homes a year, yep. which means one thing. Yeah prices must rise and that's where it is that's that cycle the prices will rise until that point where they are at a comparable level where the compromise to instigate the supply of apartments becomes rational and then we will start to see that supply of apartments come on when that gets to a point where we're seeing 10,000 apartments a year come on that's where you and I are probably having a conversation and go Perth's probably balancing out here. Yeah, it's starting to, and that was, that was 2014, 2015. We had a significant uptick in values from 2002 to 2006. Then we obviously had the GFC, which flatlined, and then 
Perth went into a really an overbuilding phase during that mining boom and built far too many apartments. But understand, it takes two two years to get an apartment out of the ground. Well, so and then if, it takes a couple of years to get it planned. So that's three or four years away. So, and that's not in the pipeline at the moment. No. So we're at least three years at a minimum away from that coming into play. So that is the fear. I get a lot of people that ask me, and it happened late last year in September. We're going to hold out until all the stock comes on in spring and summer, right? There's going to be a lot of properties that come on because it's seasonal selling. And it never happened because people have nowhere to live. So I get asked over, over this Christmas break, we can't wait. You know, Obviously, a lot of properties typically come on in January and February. We think more supply will come on or balance out the market. People can't sell if they've got nowhere else to go. Mm. And the biggest clog in the funnel or the pipeline at the moment is that next step for a seller. They've got nowhere. If, if they do sell, they've got nowhere to go to rent. They've got nowhere to go to live. So fundamentally, they're not going to move. So I don't think there's going to be an abundance of stock come onto the market this early new year. And like you said, there's not going to be an abundance of DA approvals for apartments because construction at this point doesn't make sense for high-density builders to take a stance in the market. Given that, I expect to see price rises. Segwaying to price rises, it's interesting to note the last three years in a row now, I've noticed from Australia Day to, I'd say, April, that's where we've seen the vast majority of the year's growth. You're expecting the same thing, and you're telling your guys on the ground, guys, you got a couple of weeks here to get some bargains before we start competing again. I call it selling season. If you look at every market across Australia, Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, the data is very consistent. Typically, you see majority of the activity in the first two months of, of the year. Is it people just making New Year's resolutions, school time frames? What is it? Yeah, it is. It's, it's all of that, right? People get decision fatigue late in the year, and that's just why we're looking we, forward to Christmas. Yeah, and that's why we see some really good buying opportunities typically later in the year because. Everyone says, okay, I've had enough. I'm just going to put this decision and put it off to the next year. People go away, clear in their head. They, they get quite clear on what they want to achieve for the year. And one of those is typically around property. So they come back with the ambition to go out in the market and, and, and you know, secure the home and, and start really progressing into the year. So nothing will change. That's how property sort of run for, for the last you know, 50 years. So mm. that won't change. But what I'll think will continue to take place in 2024 is that won't slow down. I think like we've seen in COVID, remember COVID hit... January started with with a bang and then it went into February, March, and then that year just really didn't slow down. I think that's what we're going to see in 2024. We're going to start strong and then the momentum is going to continue to carry us through into the year. Can you give us a couple more interesting anecdotes from 2023 to characterise how that year was so we can then juxtapose the next question I'm going to ask you about 2024? A good example is one we're working on in November last year. Kingsley, we had that off market in June for 850. They took it to the market and achieved high 900s, almost cracked a mil. I think that Kingsley was a million dollar suburb two years ago when that same property could have traded for 750 is a surprise. But like I say to my clients, you can't let past results start to impact future decisions. Mm. And that's where I think a lot of people are going to get caught out in 2024 is going back to sales results. Oh, this sold in 2023 for this. Now they want that. Or this sold in 2022 for 900. Now they want 1.2. If you look in hindsight and look at the Sydney markets, they continue to perform decade after decade. So if you are going to go into the marketplace referencing sales that are now any older than two or three months, you're going to continue to miss out. I think that's going to be prevalent in 2024 is really starting to see for the first time in over a decade, a culture of property where at the moment we're talking about it in our circles, but I think those people that you'd never thought about talking property, it's going to be front of mind for everyone in Western Australia because it will be that opportunity, maybe at the expense of or as a substitution for the stock market, which has a lot more volatility at the moment. In Perth, finally, it'll be a case of nearly celebrating the value of people's property. I want to speak to your conversation just before about people not being able to move out. 
one thing that is interesting to note is that in a rising market, you really want to expose yourself as much as possible hmm. to the market, right? Especially if you're in that market, you want to capture as much growth as possible. That would lead in then to the thought process that if you are thinking about upsizing, you should be doing that as fast as possible because you want to be exposing yourself to the most growth as possible and not missing out on that growth, chasing that dog's tail. If you're thinking about downsizing, however, which really doesn't help the conversation, but it's a reality, you probably don't want to do that in 2024, do you? No, you don't. To be honest, and this is a lot of sales agents listen to this podcast are not going to like me when I tell clients that they shouldn't be selling in 2024. And the only time you should be selling is if you're upsizing. Like I said, more exposure in the rising market is better. The biggest problem or the biggest concern I have with clients that are trying to trade in 2024 is time out of the market. So be really careful if you are going to sell with a plan to trade, be that upgrade or downsize, just be so cautious not to have time out of the market. And in this market, it's really challenging. If you leave yourself out of the market for even six months, like I said, at the growth rate, that could be 10%, 10% on a million dollars, $100,000 that you're outside the market. So if you're going to do that, just be very strategic how you trade. And a lot of people say, well, I can't buy until I sell. That's not true. There's a lot of things you can do and we have these conversations. I did seven in the last quarter of last year where I was able to purchase for a client and sell their property in the same transaction. And that means we settled on the, at the same point in time. Simultaneous settlement. Yeah, yeah. doesn't mean you can be subject to sale because you can't. But there are things we can do. And that is you know, potentially a finance clause or having the ability to sell the property off market subject to a successful purchase. There's ways we can make that happen. But my biggest advice is don't go out and sell your property and then start making a plan to buy your property because you'll be out of the market for a long period of time. Because those who haven't gone out to home opens as yet of 2024 or didn't experience the market late last year are going to be really surprised how competitive it is. Yeah, my biggest concern is people not having exposure in the Perth market. So be really cautious around a downsizing at this point in time. That risk of falling behind is yeah, what is. you're talking about. Yep, yep. But the same conversation, if, if you are looking to upsize or go for that you know, potential forever home, now is potentially the time to do it. And that's what I've done in my personal world late last year. Not that I'm going to live there at the moment, but land banking that site and paying hypothetically $2 million now knowing that that property may be worth three in the next three or four years. It is the time to be potentially looking at that because it is the gap between what your current property is worth and what your next property is worth is only getting greater because you look at the, the you know, naturally the percentage difference between the high price point and the low is, is that gap is getting more significant. Okay, so big question for this year. We've Late last year, we heard a lot of experts put forward their perspective, their opinion of what we're going to see in 2024 in terms of price growth. I hate doing this because the median house price really doesn't represent anything in Western Australia. There are segments in this market. Markets with if you can markets. maybe break it into sub $800,000, 800000 to one point five and one point five plus. Yep. Where do you think, if you could put a number on it, we're going to see growth as a percentage? We had 13.5% growth in 2023 in a rising interest rate environment. So in a potentially stabilizing, if not declining interest rate environment, I think we'll see north of that. So I think we outperformed last year. In terms of those segments, I think the first half of the year will be dominated by the affordable price points. When I say typically sub-median or, you know, let's hypothetically say 500 to a million dollars will be really, really pronounced. But if that equation with interest rates or the dynamic with the cash rate starts to reduce at the back end of the year, we'll start to see those, those higher end suburbs take flavor like we've seen in, in COVID. In terms of 2024, what to look out for? Auctions. I had three late last year, which we were fortunate enough to secure. I think we could probably talk about auction tactics, but doing some research around this, 
getting really comfortable going to auction. WA people get a lot quite nervous because it's something that we're not... Most people have no experience in it. They don't, they don't. trust the process. And for a, lot of sellers, for a lot of sellers, it doesn't actually work for a lot of sellers. Yeah, yeah. but we're going to see that. I think 2024 is going to be the, the year of auctions. So being prepared for that, maybe in our next podcast, we'll, we'll give some light on to how to, to perform. You know, a lot, of, a lot of my job late last year was purely going to auction for clients because there is... There is an art to it. There's certainly a strategy. Anyone says it doesn't matter. It's just who's got the deeper pockets are wrong. There's a lot that can be done in an auction. Intimidation's often used. So just be prepared for that. So I think it's going to be a, a really good year for Perth. And, and let's look at this in a real positive light. We want to see growth in the market. Yes, we don't want desperation in terms of rental private properties and, and people not having anywhere to live. But for the first time in a long time, Perth property is a real positive news story. Our friends and family have got equity and, and, and building their wealth around property and using property. So it is. It's going to be an exciting year and I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I'd like to leave the conversation with this point. Uh, we are still the highest earning state in the country. We pay the same interest rates as every other state in the country. Our median house price is 30% lower than Brisbane's, 20% lower than Adelaide and Hobart's. This is a reality where things don't make sense. That shouldn't be happening. Mm-hmm. With regards to where our GDP sits per capita, with regards to the economic activity, population growth, there is no reason that we should be sitting closer to Darwin's median house price than to Brisbane's. So whilst it might be fanciful to think and something that we haven't seen for a long time, I expect to see the best growth we've seen in this cycle happening this year in 2024. It's going to be a scary time for a lot of people when things change, where there's chaos, there is opportunity, there's also a lot of fear it is going to really solidify into a fear of missing out this year especially as we see as you referenced confidence start to come in about where the cash rate sits with regards to budgets so it will be a segmented market again transaction numbers again will sit closer to the bottom of the market where there is more accessibility i think we're still going to see low numbers transactions coming out of the higher end of the market simply because of a lack of ability to supply rather than a lack of demand more of last year is essentially what i expect to see and maybe even more pronounced well when you go back to the original point there around the affordability and incomes perth we're still at 33 percent on the affordability index in what terms that, of how much we're paying for our mortgage versus yes. our disposable income. so the average wage consumed by the average mortgage is at 33 percent. so the average western australian 33 percent of their wage is going to their mortgage to give you context sydney's 87 percent. so talk about a market that's in for a tough year sydney at 87 percent. when 87 percent of your wage and yes it's individual wages it's not household income but when 87 percent of your wage is going to your mortgage that doesn't leave a lot for school fees holidays and everything else that's a market that's not sustainable and that's why I think we'll see you know, some uncertainty in that market. To give you context, Perth, back in 2006, got up to as high as 65%. So at 33%, if median house prices were to double, we still wouldn't be at our affordability index ceiling. So that gives me confidence that Perth, from an affordability point of view, is certainly going to drive and continue to drive values into 2024. Lachlan, thanks for coming in, mate. Look forward to speaking to you again later on in the year to have a bit of an update how things have been performing and how uh, sane you are on the buying side uh, going throughout the year. Thanks, Trent. It's always good to come on. Cheers, mate. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page. Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!